from Tokyo, Japan, and Changsha, China. This is Down to Business English with your hosts, Skip Montreux and Des Morgan. Summer is officially over here in Tokyo, Des. Temperatures are finally down in the 20 degrees Celsius range, and I've started wearing a long sleeve shirt again. The weather has changed here in Changsha too, Skip. But the change in the weather is not the change I've been paying close attention to. Oh, really? What change are you focused on? Well, at work, we've got a new vice dean who was just appointed at my university and everyone is waiting to see what kind of changes he'll be making going forward. A new vice dean? Are you expecting big changes from someone in a vice position? Uh, probably. Uh, he's now the head of the joint program that I teach on, so I'm sure there will be changes from both sides. The previous vice dean was an interim position. Just for a year or so, he was more in charge of the day-to-day -day running of the program. Incidentally, a role that he will continue with, and one that he's pretty good at. Hmm, okay, I can see why you are expecting changes. Yeah, I'm sure there will be a few. But change, you know, is good. So I'm looking forward to what will happen. You are right, change is good. But at the same time, I hope the changes aren't anything too drastic. A few changes are good for an organization, but too many changes made too quickly can be really damaging. Yeah, I agree with that too. Now, Des, imagine if this former dean had held the position since the 1950s. I think you could expect an awful lot of changes. <laughs> sure. But how often does something like that happen? When does a university dean hold a position for, for that long? Well, it might not happen in academia very often, but there was a recent resignation in the business world where exactly that happened. <laughs> You're talking about Rupert Murdoch's recent announcement that he will finally retire after a seven-decade-long career. Yes, that is precisely what I'm referring to. And by any chance, is this our business story for today? It is indeed. In September, at the age of 92, Rupert Murdoch announced that he will step down as CEO of News Corp, effective in mid-November. That is certainly a long run for any career. Mm, it is. So, let's do it. Let's get D2B. Down to business with Rupert Murdoch. A retrospective of a media mogul. Although I'm sure that 99.9% .9 of our listeners know who Rupert Murdoch is, I wonder how many people know how he got to where he is today. Well, let's try to remedy that. Rupert Murdoch is an Australian-born media mogul who got his start in the newspaper business in Australia in the early 1950s, and whose entire empire today spans the world. And how exactly did he go about growing that media empire? Hmm, it's a long and windy road with a lot of ups and downs, but Murdoch got his start like many media moguls do. Okay, and how's that? 
Did he start out as a junior cub reporter in some local newspaper and work his way up to the top? No, not at all. He inherited a newspaper from his father. It was handed down to him? It was. In 1952, Rupert Murdoch inherited News Corp Australia from his father, who had passed away from cancer. So he isn't a self-made billionaire like Elon Musk or even Bill Gates? No, he isn't self-made in the same way. But at the same time, I don't want to belittle the man just because he inherited his first enterprise. He was only 21 years old when he inherited that company. That's a young age for so much responsibility. At that time, News Corp published many popular newspapers across Australia, but was not in very good financial shape. For such a young man, Rupert demonstrated some pretty keen business instincts to save the company. Like what exactly? Well, he started off by selling some of News Corp's key assets in order to get the company out of debt. And by assets, I'm guessing you mean newspapers? Yes. After selling off the Melbourne Herald, Rupert focused his attention on what was left of News Corp, a small daily newspaper in the South Australian city of Adelaide with the apt name, The News. It's kind of like how Steve Jobs returned to Apple in 1997 as interim CEO, and then immediately stopped production of several different Apple computer models to focus on the development of the original iMac. Mm. You can certainly draw a parallel between the two situations. So just as Steve Jobs saved Apple and laid the foundations for future growth in the late 1990s, That's what Murdoch did with News Corp in the 50s? Yes. By focusing on only one newspaper, Murdoch was able to turn the news into a major success. And from there, he started to expand by purchasing the Daily Mirror in Sydney, launching a national newspaper, The Australian, and eventually going international by acquiring The Sun and News of the World newspapers in the United Kingdom. And how long did it take for him to do all that? He accomplished all of this by 1969. In just under 20 years. That's some pretty rapid expansion. Did he have some type of secret formula for success? Well, it has often been said that in this period... Murdoch created and refined the modern tabloid. Oh, the tabloid. (laughs) Maybe for our listeners, Des, you should explain what a tabloid is. A tabloid is a type of newspaper that focuses on sensational news. You know, stories that focus on scandals and celebrity gossip rather than the important news of the day. Great description. Tabloids are all about creating eye-catching headlines that sell newspapers. Both The Sun and the now-defunct News of the World from the UK are two great examples of tabloids, always reporting on scandals involving the royal family or celebrities or politicians' private lives. So, in answer to your question as to what Murdoch's secret formula was, I guess the answer is tabloid news. Clearly, sensation sells. Now, once Murdoch's newspaper empire was established in Australia and the UK, Rupert turned his attention to the US in the early 1970s. More acquisitions? Yes, he acquired publications such as the San Antonio News, the New York Magazine, 
and the very famous and very big Chicago Sun-Times. So far, all of these assets are print media, newspapers and magazines. When did Murdoch branch out into other media? Fast forward to 1985. That was the year that Murdoch acquired 20th Century Fox. Wow, the movie studio. That's right. Under the umbrella of 20th Century Fox, Murdoch created the Fox Television Group, or the parent company of Fox Sports and Fox Broadcasting. Which are huge players in the U.S. television markets. As is Fox News, which was launched later, in 1996, and now is the most watched cable news network in the U.S. And correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't two of the highest grossing films of all time, Titanic and Avatar, produced by 20th Century Fox? Very good observation, Des. Both were indeed produced while Murdoch was at the helm of 20th Century Fox. And what about his involvement in broadcasting in the UK? He's involved in Sky TV, isn't he? Hmm, He absolutely is. Around the same time he was growing his broadcasting presence in the US with Fox, Murdoch launched Sky TV in 1989 in the UK. That went on to become the UK's biggest provider of paid TV content. Wow, a very impressive career indeed. Well, that's not all. Murdoch also got involved in book publishing. He acquired Harper and Rowe in 1987 and Collins in 1989. Those two publishers subsequently merged to form Harper Collins, which is now the third largest publisher in the United States. So just to summarize, Rupert Murdoch spent the 50s, 60s and 70s establishing a global newspaper empire. And then in the 80s and 90s, he branched out into broadcasting while at the same time diversifying into book publishing. In a nutshell, yeah, that's right. Of course, that is a very brief retrospective. We could spend an entire episode of D2B going into any one of those business ventures in more detail. And there are even more media properties he's bought and sold over the years. There are. I didn't even mention News Corp's ownership of Dow Jones and Company, which publishes the Wall Street Journal and Barron's, or how he sold News Corp's stake in Sky TV for $12 billion to Comcast in 2018. Oh, that was a nice payday for him. Hmm, it was. But it is pale in comparison to his payday the following year in 2019. And what happened then? He sold his shares in 21st Century Fox to Disney for a whopping $71.3 billion. (laughs) Incredible. Newspapers, books, films, TV and financial media. Definitely a media mogul in every sense of the word. There is no doubt about that. So that's an overview of Murdoch's empire. But what about Rupert Murdoch the man? He is well known as being a far-right conservative, and there are a lot of similarities between him and Donald Trump. But Trump isn't much of a conservative. Yeah, I think he's more of an opportunist. Mm, True, but both men did inherit their initial wealth from their fathers, and both created the identity of a blue-collar billionaire. You could also add that both have this innate gut feeling of the issues that motivate and anger the man in the street. 
Yes, Murdoch once argued that his paper, The Sun, won the UK election for John Major and the Conservative Party in 1992. And then again for Tony Blair and the Labour Party in 1997. Given Murdoch's much publicized right-leaning political views, that was a bit of a surprise. As Fox News has become the mass media voice of the right in the US, I would imagine that Murdoch also considers Donald Trump's victory in 2016 as one of his other achievements. No doubt, and that didn't help his image with his detractors. Skylar Baker Jordan, a journalist with the Independent newspaper out of the UK, describes Murdoch as promoting misinformation and outright hostility towards political opponents to reshape the country and the world to his liking. That is strong. But I guess it's fair to say that Murdoch, like Trump, has a good understanding of how to manipulate the news cycle and use it to his advantage. That is one way to put it. Perhaps even more damaging is Murdoch's view on climate change. Don't tell me he sees it as the greatest threat the human race faces today? (laughs) You know that is not true. I can hear the sarcasm in your voice. No. Unfortunately, Murdoch is a climate change naysayer. And he is probably the world's most powerful media empire to spread those views. It certainly shows the power that Murdoch has wielded over the last half a century. But the big question now is, what happens next now he's retiring? That could be an entire episode in itself. But the bottom line is Murdoch is passing the torch to his eldest son, Lachlan. Lachlan Murdoch will be Rupert Murdoch's successor. Yes. Lachlan will assume the post of chairman for both Fox and News Corps when his father officially steps down next month. But even then, Rupert will not be gone completely. What do you mean? He will remain as chair emeritus of each company. Chair emeritus? That's a title I've not heard of before. Emeritus is an honorary title granted to someone who retires from a position of distinction. It's common in universities for retiring professors. Sure, yeah, I mean, I've heard of it in academia, but in business? Well, yeah, it's less common in business. You know, I think it is shorthand, (laughs) and that it's just signaling that Rupert will remain in overall control. Well, I, I don't want to be morbid, but Murdoch is 92 after all. He won't be around for too much longer, so the interesting question is what will happen when he dies? That is a very interesting question. The Murdoch Family Trust controls roughly 40% of the voting shares in Fox and News Corp and is held equally between Rupert's four oldest children. So each of the Murdoch siblings have an equal say? Precisely. And there is no love lost between Lachlan and his younger brother James. They have been vying to succeed their father for years. So what you're telling me is there's the potential for infighting and alliance building among the siblings as they fight it out for control? Let's just say that Lachlan's future as chairman of News Corps is not set in stone. 
if there's even a hint of that, there's sure to be a Netflix drama with late night board meetings aboard private jets and super yachts in the works. What are you talking about? There already is. Well, it's not a Netflix series, it's on HBO. What? It's on HBO? You know, that, that series Succession. The fictional story of the Roy family. They are owners of a global media empire, and it's all about the children fighting for control of the company. I've never heard of it. You're kidding! It ran for like four seasons and just finished earlier this year. It was a runaway hit and was completely modeled on the Murdoch family. I'll have to check it out. You must. It is great. But a word of warning, Des. It's very, very addictive. Well, before I start to binge watch that, I think it's time for us to get D2V down to vocabulary. I want to start D2V off with two words that appear in the title of our episode. The nouns mogul and retrospective. Well, that's a good place to start to understand the topic of our report. The word mogul has several meanings depending on the context you use it in. But in a business context, a mogul is a powerful person in a particular industry, especially media or entertainment. So Rupert Murdoch is the perfect example then of a mogul. He fits the description exactly. And the noun retrospective? A retrospective is a look back at the past. So this report on Rupert Murdoch's career was a retrospective. We looked back at some of the key events in his business life. Retrospective can also be used as an adjective. It can, yes. In a business context, you could say something like, our manager requested a retrospective report to evaluate the team's performance over the last quarter. In other words, the boss wants a report on your performance over the last three months. Exactly. What's the next word on the list, Des? Next, we have another adjective, interim. Interim describes something that's temporary. In the introduction to the story, I noted that the vice dean of my university had recently changed and that the last vice dean was an interim position. In other words, it was a temporary position. The new vice dean, the one taking over, will be a permanent posting. Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. Interim can also be used as a noun, often in the phrase in the interim. This phrase indicates that an action you are taking is only for a short time or is happening between two other events. The photocopier in my office is out of order again. Oh, oh, that is not good. But why are you bringing that up? Because in the interim, I have to walk across campus to make photocopies in another building that has a working copier. <laughs> nice example, Des. <laughs> Thanks. Moving on. We have yet another adjective, to be defunct. Something that is defunct no longer exists or is no longer functioning. I guess your photocopier is defunct. <laughs> anyway, in the story, Des described the tabloid News of the World as defunct 
because it closed its doors in 2011. <laughs> and that business news story is an entire D2B episode in itself. It would be. Can you summarize it in a sentence or two? I can. It was the conclusion of a scandal that rocked News Corp and the British public about, let me see, 25 years ago and involved reporters illegally listening in to celebrities' voice messages. Mm, you are right, Des. We should do an episode about it. But let's stay on track for now. Can you give us another example using defunct? Sure. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was created in 1896. Mm-hmm. Originally, it was the average stock price of the top 12 companies in the US. But over the years, it expanded to 30 companies. What is interesting is that none of those original 12 companies remain on the list. In fact, all but one of them are long defunct. Which company is not defunct? Only General Electric still exists as an independent company. GE isn't on the Dow Jones anymore? No, it isn't. It was removed in 2018. Huh, I did not know that. It's always a good day when you learn something new, Skip. I'll finish up D2V today with the compound noun naysayer. A naysayer is a person who always opposes something or says something is not possible. Nay is Old English for the modern word no. And sayer is, well, a person who says something. So it's easy to get a mental image of a naysayer. A person who always says no. In the story, Skip referred to Murdoch as a climate change naysayer, indicating that he is opposed to the concept. Hmm, that's right. Murdoch doesn't believe the science behind climate change, preferring to view the changes in climate and weather as natural phenomenons. Can you give us a business example using naysayer, Skip? Amazon had a lot of naysayers in the beginning. Yeah, that's right, they did. No one except die-hard investors thought it would be a success. Even the sage of Omaha himself, Warren Buffett, said he did not think Amazon was going to succeed on the scale that it actually has. Really? That's something I didn't know. <laughs> there, we both learned something new today. Would you like to help D2B reach more people wanting to improve their business English skills? Be sure to follow D2B on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any place podcasts are found. While you are there, leave a rating and a review and tell everyone how much you enjoy the show. And that brings us to the end of Down to Business English 283. Rupert Murdoch, a retrospective of a media mogul. D2B members, the bonus vocabulary podcast for today's episode will drop within the next 24 to 48 hours. So be sure you're subscribed to your members only RSS feed so you can get this as soon as it's released. In that bonus D2B episode, we will go through five more words and phrases used in today's report. And those would be an awful lot of something, to branch out, to pale in comparison, a detractor, and blue collar. 
If you are not a D2B member, do consider becoming one. Not only do you get access to bonus D2V episodes and exclusive member-only D2B episodes, your membership provides us with the resources we need to produce down-to-business English. To become a member, just visit d2benglish.com forward slash membership to sign up. That's d2benglish.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye. Have a comment or question about today's show? Don't be shy. Visit the D2B website or Facebook page and post any comments or questions there. Skip, Des or Samantha will be sure to leave a reply. Down to Business English. Business news to improve your business English.